0: Leading Ideas Talks podcast is brought to you by the Lewis Center for Church Leadership of Wesley Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C. Subscribe free to our weekly e-newsletter, Leading Ideas, at churchleadership.com slash leadingideas. Leading Ideas Talks is also brought to you by Discovering God's Future for Your Church. This turnkey video toolkit helps your congregation discern and implement God's vision for your church's next faithful steps. Discovering God's future for your church is available at churchleadership.com slash vision. How can church leaders embrace rather than fear the future? In this episode, Olu Brown shares how leaders can normalize next and begin living their future now by engaging innovative thinking, creative partnerships, and hybrid strategies to fulfill their mission.
1: Welcome to Leading Ideas Talk, a podcast featuring thought leaders and innovative practitioners. I am Douglas Poe, the director of the Lewis Center, and your host for this talk. Joining me is the Reverend Olu Brown of Impact Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Our focus for this podcast is Normalizing Next, his new book. I'm really excited for this podcast for a couple of reasons. First, this is our 100th podcast, and we're celebrating that we have made it to 100. It does not feel like we've done 100 of these, but we actually have. Second, I'm celebrating because I get to do the 100th and hang out with one of my buddies, Reverend Olu Brown. So Olu, welcome to our 100th podcast.
2: Thank you so much, Doug. It's great to be here with you, and I thank you for the work that you and the team do.
1: Well, I want to get started, and I'm really excited about your new book, Normalizing Next. Um, And I think that the title itself is so very interesting because most people have been focusing on the new normal. But you are sort of suggesting that we look ahead to figure out sort of what we call normal. Is this a fair interpretation, and why are you so future-oriented if I'm reading this correctly?
2: Yeah. So the whole uh, passion and genesis for the book is to give some hope and inspiration to leaders in the church, uh, those who are lay and also those who are clergy. And this is how I define normalizing next. When leaders and congregations determine that next is not to be feared but embraced and that as they engage in creative and innovative thinking and partnerships, uh, they will begin living their future now. So now is also current, but it's also the future. And I believe, and the reason this book was written, was in, to encourage leaders to think about tomorrow, but not only tomorrow, next year, and a decade from now. Because as leaders, we can not only look at where we've been, Or where we are we have to project ourselves into the future so that's the whole idea around normalizing next and of course what does it mean to lead and live in a post covid 19 world
1: absolutely and and i appreciate uh, the way that you think about this and a part of that of course is you talk about the dreaded word that everybody um well i won't say everybody many people in the church try to avoid the word change. Yes. Uh, people sort of um, get uptight when you start talking about we need to change things or we need to do something different. Of course, during the times of COVID, people didn't have a choice; they had to adjust or to make changes. The question is, though, how can leaders help congregation to see change as an ongoing work and not something we do just to get to a settled place? Because it feels like coming out of the pandemic, prayerfully, that people are going to want to be more settled again, but the reality is we still are going to have to continue to change.
2: Yeah, and so this is where we don't necessarily look into the future only, but we also look to the past, and as we look to the past, we understand that organizations, in particular churches that have become and sustained vitality over history, have always changed and adapted to the change that is around them. So the inspiration for helping leaders normalize change is that we've always done it and whenever we do change consistently we're able to speak to the current culture we're able to reach and evangelize and we're also able to better resemble being the kingdom of god here on earth if you think about jesus's ministry it evolved and it changed And how he reached out to particular disciples to onboard them wasn't the same for every disciple. He spoke to their culture. He spoke to where they were and then onboarded them and took them into the future. And we know Matthew ends by saying, what? Go into all the world. And that's change one-on-one. If you're going to be serious about the Great Commission, you also have to be serious about making adjustments and changes along the way to really fulfill the commission that Jesus has given us.
1: You said something really interesting at the end. You said if we're serious about the Great Commission, uh, and I'm just going to uh, sort of play angel's advocate. We won't be the devil's advocate. We'll be the (laughs) angel's advocate. I like that. (laughs) Um, Do you think that maybe not enough congregations are serious about the Great Commission? And Mm -hmm. what I mean by that is it, it seems to me that that challenge of going Um, really is where congregations really do fall short, which sort of connects to what you're saying in terms of change. So if I don't really buy into the Great Commission, then can I buy into changing?
2: Yeah. Well, for me, what I've found from coaching churches and leaders across the country is they are serious. They don't have the strategy. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter how serious you are about fulfilling the Great Commission, if you don't have the strategy to do it you won't see the fulfillment of it and that's why i wrote the book and so we talk about generosity and raising generosity in this culture we're living in structuring your church for growth what is leadership what is vision casting and so a lot of churches need uh the basics if you will to evangelizing in this post covid 19 world so that they can take how serious they are about the great commission and partner that with strategy and fulfill the Great Commission.
1: Let's talk a little bit uh, about vision as we start thinking of that strategy, uh, because you talk about the importance of vision to help congregations move forward. And I want to use your words and have you sort of respond <coughs> to this. So, you know, how do we help to elevate the imagination of a congregation? that wants to return to their prior ways. And and I say this in two sort of ways. I say this in terms of there are congregations now who are saying, you know, uh, we sort of liked it over there in Egypt. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to the pre-pandemic times. Let's let's go back to Egypt. And there are congregations that, uh, of course, that have always wanted to, to sort of return to the sort of tradition of the church and didn't wanna move forward. So how do you want sort of think about vision that move forward? And then how do you think about that vision in terms of helping people who wanna go back to prior times to to buy in and
2: move forward? First, the vision moving forward in congregations that are at that point, we have to do everything we can to inspire and give them the right information To continue moving forward so the inspiration comes from scripture we think about the prophet joel or we think about habakkuk writing a vision and so we are living in a season where we are casting vision about the future and future may be about a program for the church a ministry for the church reaching the community in a different way or going back to the drawing board and revisioning and rethinking everything a lot of pastors and leaders during the pandemic realized that, you know, church didn't have to last two and a half hours. We can really uh, revision our program and our order of worship. And oh, by the way, we had great worship in one hour and it was very effective. So we need to resource and give churches and church leaders that type of information. And that's what you and the Lewis Center are doing and others across the country. And we need to make sure we give those resources to as many leaders as possible. But then secondly, for that group that wants to go back to Egypt, here's what I've been telling individuals and everyone, whether it's a friend or a family member or an associate, if you are still alive in the last two years, you've lost someone or something over the last two years. My hope is that you will take the lessons learned, even the hardships over the past two years and transform that into a new energy and a new resolve to ask this question in your local church. What is God asking us to do right now? And as God answers that question, charge forward with all of the energy and the anointing and the passion and the resources you have. So that would be my response to those who wanna go back to the way things used to be.
1: I really, like what you said, and I really like the question, uh, what is God asking us to do now? I'm going to play angels advocate one more time, because I, I, I've talked to some of these congregations, and I can just imagine, and I'm just curious if you've um, had to coach or deal with a congregation who responds, well, God wants us to get back in our building and to start doing in-person worship again. I yeah. mean, how do you respond to someone who answers in that sort
2: of way? Well, one thing we've realized over the past two years, and we've been saying it historically, the building is not the church. It holds, it resources, it allows ministry to be facilitated, but the building is brick and mortar. And my hope for those congregations is that they've learned that lesson. The building is not your church. And and then secondly, as it relates to going back inside so that we can hold worship, and I've had some of our uh, congregants to say, it doesn't feel the same watching a line. Or now that we're back, this feels like church again. And you really have to question that theology. Because if you look at Jesus' ministry, it was predominantly outdoors. It was in community. It was on water. And we know as we prepare for Easter, Calvary's cross was on a hill. And so 99% of Jesus's ministry was on the outside. What does that say about us today, where 99% of the ministry we do has to be on the inside? So here's the advice I've been giving individuals. And I know you and the Lewis Center have published and resourced a lot of information about hybrid worship uh, in person and virtual. Here's what I'm telling people who ask, Olu, how long should we do online or virtual worship? Here's the answer until Jesus comes back. I would do (laughs) in-person and virtual worship until Jesus comes back. I would even go up a stage or two. I would start having all of our programs be built on two platforms, in-person, virtual. Vacation Bible school, in-person, virtual. Sunday school, in-person, virtual. Wednesday night Bible study, in-person, virtual. Not only Sunday morning, but every major program we offer, how can we build it on a hybrid platform, so the whole world can see it.
1: I love that answer. And um, it sort of ties into sort of where I want to go next. And that's Mm. thinking about technology and actually hybrid worship. And I want to start with technology. I I can, um, I can imagine um, many people who know, you know, that impact has always been sort of in the forefront of technology. But what I'm going to hear is, well, you know, Olu has all those resources that impact, so he can mm-hmm. he can afford to have technology. Yeah. What do you say to small congregations that don't have the funds, but they have to do exactly what you said? They've got to do in person and virtual. Um, yes. They've got to they have to start thinking in these ways. So how do you help them to think about? You also can use technology. You may not be buying the most expensive technology, but you
2: still need to use it. Here's how you think about using it. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. There's an entire chapter in my book, Normalizing Next, on technology because technology is important and it's vital. Here's my response focus on two different types of technology low tech and high tech, and find out your fit. For instance, I was talking to a pastor who is worshiping with his congregation via a conference call line. They can't see each other, but they can hear each other. Now that's a low tech, but it's still impactful and effective. And it worked for them where they are. Use what you have. A more high tech version would be what we're doing right now via Zoom or another video conferencing system. And what we've discovered is Even our older adults will buy into technology if we introduce it in a way that helps them understand they can use it and they can benefit from it. For instance, our churches are hosting baptisms and a grandparent who lives in another state can't travel because of physical uh, ability or because of COVID or both. And you help that grandparent understand that Our church is offering in-person, but also hybrid. And the grandchild that you love so much is going to be baptized on Sunday morning. Well, that grandparent can participate in the sacrament of that church through technology. And so it's not just about having a smartphone or a laptop or having a computer. It's about helping an individual understand that they can still be, one, connected to their family, Two, connect it to the church. And three, be a part of God's global community. And when you can introduce it that way, instead of the nuts and bolts and the bandwidth and all of these kind of technical phrases we use, this is about you participating in your grandchild's baptism. Would you like to do that? And if their answer is yes, which it will be yes, then you simply show them how. And guess what? You've got a committed online viewer for the rest of their lifetime.
1: I think that's helpful. And you sort of have termed it in language that I have not heard many say (laughs) in terms of really helping the individual to understand how connecting in this way is a benefit to them, instead of just simply saying, here, use this technology. Yes, And I I want to um, now sort of connect to hybrid worship, and you sort of have started down this path. How do we help individuals really plan to think about doing in-person and virtual worship? Because I, what tends to happen, um, which I'm sure you understand, is what we do is say, okay, let's get a camera so you can watch what yes. we do in person. But that's not really inviting to those people who are joining you virtually, that you really have to think about how do we create an experience that yes. integrates them into what we're doing, and they're not just sort of onlookers to what we're doing. So any advice for how we really can create a really good hybrid worship experience?
2: One, they need to watch your podcast on hybrid worship. (laughs) I appreciate that, thank you. (laughs) So that they can uh, get some really great uh, details. Uh, And secondly, it goes back to the way we think about it and introduce it. Um, Even before the pandemic, one of the things that I heard, which was very harmful, uh, related to online or virtual worship is that some pastors and churches were concerned that if they offered it, fewer people would come in person. And then guess what happens a year or two later, a pandemic. So one, one we have to dismiss and dismantle these false narratives about the way uh, the people of God gather and uh, appreciate and value both in person and virtual. So that's the first thing, building a culture of acceptance around allowing people to worship in the way that's best for them and not demonizing in particular uh, virtual worship. The second is we've got to get the resources to know the best practices. I mentioned uh, your podcast and there are other folks who also teach and train on it. And, and then the third is you've got to start at your level. Um, we would love to have a full engaged online campus, but that may not be the reality for most churches in the United States of America or around the world. So where do you start as it relates to virtual worship? For some people, it may be uh, their smartphone in their living room on a stand and you're preaching and teaching and singing um, in your living room, but it continues to evolve. How does it evolve? by investing in a software platform that then allows you to interact with the individuals who are watching. In our church, we call them host team members who are online. So the same way you have a physical in-person usher or a host, you also have that person who is online. And someone will say, well, Olu, you have a ton of people in the Atlanta area. Well, guess what? You can have a volunteer who is a virtual volunteer helping in another part of the world. Say for instance, your local church has a college student that's a freshman in a college in another part of the country. Well, what if you reached out to that student and said on Sunday mornings, will you volunteer where you are in your dorm room, in your apartment, to be our online hosts, They don't have to physically be there. And guess what? You've now scaled up your online experience. And as a viewer, I have no idea that that's a college student who's interacting with me. And two, I have no idea they're in the building. That's not important. What I appreciate is you thought enough about me as a member of this congregation or as a guest of this congregation to engage me and not just treat me as somebody who's watching you have a wonderful worship experience and then I log off after it's over with.
1: Again, I think that uh that advice is helpful because not only is it important to really be aware of your context and where you need to start, but then it's important not just to stay there again, sort of where we began yes. this conversation, and to continue to sort of move along that continuum where you're working to take that next step and what you're trying to accomplish. Let's stick in this vein, but move to, to preaching. Um, mm. In the book, you talk about sort of the importance of preaching, yes. but as we think about Preaching contextually, uh, which I know you believe is important. How do you preach contextually when you have people who are in person in Atlanta that know what's going on in the city, but now you have people all around the world, so they may not care what's going on in Atlanta. So, how do you continue to sort of preach contextually when you're working in a hybrid format?
2: So, what I've told individuals is practice before you preach. In Mm -hmm. particular, if you have one worship experience, because if you don't practice before the worship experience, you're basically practicing on people. And that will never yield you the best results. One of the reasons we practice before we preach is to go over the words and the different phrases and the different examples. And hopefully, there's someone to give us feedback. Guess what, you can practice preaching with someone virtually. They don't even have to be in the room with you and they can give you feedback the second suggestion is language meaning if you're preaching in a particular city or part of the country but you're broadcasting around the world you want to be careful not to use specific examples for your region only so for instance if you're preaching a sermon and you happen to use Uh, a story about going to a grocery store to buy groceries and in your state there is a grocery chain that is very popular and everyone knows about it and so when you give the example you name that store and you know it and a handful of other people close to you know it but if i'm watching in milwaukee or if i'm watching in asia i have no idea but i do know what a grocery store is or I do know what a food service store is. So it's using that type of general language around certain examples so that you can reach uh, the highest number or largest number of your audience. And that's something I talk about in the book and other previous resources as well. Because when we think about hospitality, we often think about it in person. But as we're broadcasting more virtually, You also have to think about online hospitality and what it means to help your viewers and members of the congregation who are watching feel welcome, accepted, and guess what? That you practice, you plan, and you prepared for them. You just didn't wake up and say, oh, by the way, we're going to post this online. No, we thought about you the same way we thought about individuals coming in person.
1: I think that's really important, and I think that even small congregations need to take the heart, the practicing uh, before they go ahead and, and sort of put it out there. I think too often we skip that step and we get sort of uh, frustrated when it's not the product that we hope that we would like it to be, but part of it is because we haven't done our part yeah. and and practicing
2: as you've suggested let well, me um i was gonna go year, <laughs> just a funny note you know i've announced that i'm retiring from the local church and so i've got about uh, three months left when this broadcast airs but one of the things i won't miss is every thursday whoever is preaching we practice our sermons every thursday and on sunday morning we also have to arrive earlier uh, then the worship's experience starts. And that's not only for who's preaching, but that's for the liturgist, whoever will be talking uh, from what we call the stage, we all have to practice. So I'm looking forward to coming to worship in the future at the time worship starts, as opposed to getting there an hour uh, earlier. So <laughs> thank you for I letting just, me share that.
1: Just make sure you're not one of those people slipping in 15 minutes late in the back
2: when you- uh, hey. I might become one of those folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh,
1: mm-hmm. uh, let me sort of connect um, all, some of these pieces together with something I found really intriguing in the, in the book and uh, really want you to share a little bit more about. In the book, you talk about the importance of getting people moving in the same direction. And that's a <laughs> lot of what we've been um, talking about in this mm-hmm. podcast, trying to help people understand the importance of, Um, moving into a vision that helps them to really live out the Great Commission, if we want Mm -hmm. to to simplify it. And you talk about sort of moving together. What's important is doing it in sort of three simple steps, that what you have to help is you can't overcomplicate it, that you've Mm got to make it easy for people to get on the same page as you. So I want you to share a little bit about that. But then I want you to to respond to, though, if you break it down to three simple steps, have you made it too simplistic for people? Um, have you gone the, in the other direction?
2: Yeah. Well, thank you. That's in the chapter on church structure. And the philosophy uh, that we call it uh, is three steps or less. And this is why. When we think about uh, the typical human experience, and all of the things that we manage in a single day. Uh, And if I'm passionate about the church, and I want to volunteer at the church, and I come and I'm already managing 50 or 60 things, but I want to volunteer my time. And the most valuable commodity anyone has is their time. And I give you my time. And to volunteer in an area that I'm passionate about, I have to go through 20 different steps With three or four different people. Well, what we discover in church, it's not that they didn't want to volunteer, they just didn't have the time or the patience to go through all of the adjustments that we were asking them to go through. So here's what I've told volunteers and folks who are building volunteer systems for me to engage with your ministry, make it three steps or less. Now, that doesn't mean uh, we don't do background checks in areas where we have to do background checks or practice safe sanctuary we still do those things but as it relates to engaging with a particular ministry or support or helping out three steps or less um for some it might be four for others it might be five but it doesn't need to be numerous steps they're very simple uh not complicated they're very uh visible whether it's in digital or it's in paper Um, And everyone who has responsibility over those three steps are held accountable. For instance, what can happen with some volunteer systems is as a fellow volunteer, I sign up to take the names after church and I leave church with a list of names and that list of names sits in my car for two weeks and no (laughs) one gets a call, no one gets a text, no one gets an email and other leaders are saying, well, I know we had a ton of people sign up. Yes, we did but someone didn't follow through so it's not enough just to have a simple system it's not enough to have three steps or less you also have to be accountable as leaders because as i said earlier the most valuable commodity we have is our time and we never want to waste someone's time in particular in the life of the church of jesus christ
1: although uh, as we get ready to draw to a close and again I really appreciate you being our guest on this 100th episode of our podcast. I'm curious of if you had a crystal ball uh, mm-hmm. as you get ready to take the sort of next step for your life, what do you see as really critical for congregations in the sort of next 3 to 5 years if they're yeah. going to thrive?
2: well several things one i think churches that will thrive in the future will be boutique style churches meaning they're very clear and very focused on missions and outreach in their particular context and passion and don't try to be all things to all people they're okay referring people out to other churches that do certain things better so it's a boutique very focused streamlined ministry two they have a very clear vision in a very clear mission, and they overemphasize it. They market it all the time, internally, externally. It's in the lifeblood of every leader. It's in every sermon, every song, every volunteer opportunity. The vision, the mission is a part of the core DNA. Uh, The third is leadership development. Externally, they're searching for the best leaders to help move their ministry forward. So. If you happen to be, once again, that grocery store example, and you're checking out and the salesperson is singing a song, well, invite that salesperson to be a part of your church choir. So they're always looking for uh, people to help resource the ministry, but also internal. Um, We're resourcing our volunteers with uh, the Lewis Center, and we're saying, hey, here's a great podcast you need to listen to because I believe you're a great uh, uh, teacher, but I think you can be even greater if you'll check out some of these resources. So it's leadership development internally, externally, it's the clarity of vision, it's being very focused as a boutique style in Science Church. And then finally, it's taking some crazy risks through the power of the Holy Spirit and asking ourselves, what is God up to right now that we wanna be a part of? And not being afraid of the future, or held hostage by the past, but literally believing the scripture, Ephesians 3.20, God will do exceedingly and abundantly above all we can ask, think, or or imagine according to the power, uh, and the translation is dynamite, that is at work within us. So my encouragement is God is with you. You can't fail, take a risk, and trust that as you normalize next, the best is yet to come.
1: Alu, oh, thank you so much for being a part of this. This has been great. And again, the book is Normalizing Next. It will be a book that will help you, particularly as you look forward towards the future.
2: Thank you and happy one hundred episode.
0: Thanks for joining us for Leading Ideas Talks. Please like and subscribe to this channel and click the bell icon to get updates for new videos.